source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle Empire. Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire, the regular season and postseason champs of not missing a week due to COVID. Um, at this point, we're still socially distanced. We're doing this over Zoom. I've got Andrew Beck. The main reason we're doing it over Zoom is not so much because we uh, don't want to risk anything. It's because, like, we don't really feel like leaving the house anymore. And uh, it just doesn't seem like there's a point to any of it. No, I had to go out and buy food, but that's going to be it for the, like, I, I may not leave the house again this year. No, that's not true. I'm going to have to... Our supplies won't carry us that far, but there's no other thing that we ought to be leaving the house for at this point, that's for sure. Well, the regular season is in the books. I just uh, We've just excised a, a pregame rant um, where, where, where I lamented once again that Brad Underwood can't seem to win bragging rights when he has the better team, only when he had a shitty team like the one that, at the beginning of his tenure. But um, uh, it was kind of... Uh, a really shitty day for Illini fans on Saturday is legendary assistant coach Jimmy Collins died that Saturday night. Um, the man whose career Bruce Pearl ruined. Uh, so Jimmy Collins is no more and Bruce Pearl is coaching at Auburn and getting a lot of VSPN people to continue slobbing on his knob for fighting through all the adversity that he himself has created. Um, fuck him. I hope he burns in hell. Anyway, Northwestern 28, Illinois 10. Good, nice palate cleanser for you. So, I will qualify everything I say this week with the observation. I was snorkeling all week in Fordham, so well, you saw as much as every other of every other game as I did. I started yeah. cleaning the kitchen in the second quarter of this game. <laughs> uh, I changed Listen. the channel entirely in the third. Yeah, I, I would just come in here and be like, I just come into the room and be like, they score yet? Yep. They uh, Illinois turned it over yet? No, I mean they just scored. There's a commercial. All right. Well, and then the next time. And be like, oh, they don't have the ball anymore, do they? Nope. Well, you know, considering the breathtaking lopsidedness of the box score, that it was only an 18-point game is kind of remarkable. Because, um, I mean, <laughs> this is one of the things like you, you hear. It's not as – it was overshadowed, for example, by what North Carolina did to Notre Dame – or not to Notre Dame, to Miami. Um but this is still, I mean, Northwestern had exactly the game flow that they wanted. Uh, 411 yards rushing on almost 60 attempts is typically unheard of. But even going off at seven yards a clip, even with only one run of 50 yards even, so you get that kind of sustained crushing production and still only win. I mean, that's basically, it's basically, as you put it, the gentleman's blowout, which, wait, is, this isn't the same score as that Wisconsin game you always refer to, was it? No, that was a 24 to 10, but it did have the backdoor touchdown by Illinois late in the game. When, yes. When, hey, guess what? It turns out Isaiah Williams can throw the fucking ball um, better than Brandon three for 14 Peters in the rain. Um, so yeah, it was a monsoon the whole way. And when I saw that, I knew for sure that we weren't going, that we were going to go with Peters and we weren't going to go to Williams until the game was over. Um, and, and Peters was just awful in the passing game. Um, not that he got a whole hell of a lot of help, but, you know, I think the second pass that he threw, 
uh, ended up being bobbled four times by three different defensive backs, only for Daniel Barker to clear them all out of there. So, you know, then we, we punted. Uh, our, our best player showed up to play. He punted it to the two, Blake Hayes did, and then we recovered the ball inside the five and then didn't score. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty rare to see a smothering as thorough as this without some kind of, like, sloppiness, right? I mean, again, I'm just looking at the box score here, but Illinois, it does not appear to turn the ball over. In fact, you recovered one lost fumble, so you actually have plus one in the turnover margin. Yep, because on so, that play, Calvin Avery got people off of the pile, getting a 15-yard penalty that moved us back to the 21, and then we <laughs> missed a 32-yard field goal. Uh, you can't make it up. I mean, it, if nothing else, you it's certainly – it's kind of, the Lovey Smith era, which, by the way, burying the lead a little bit in that Lovey Smith was fired after this game – uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about what the future consequences are for in the preview, the forward-looking, the optimistic half of the of the podcast. But it it really does put a nice bow on it, doesn't it? Like there, I imagine for you and for most Illinois fans, this game featured many of the themes of the Lovey Smith era that kind of told you from relatively early on, like this probably isn't going to end that well. And and there's these persistent frustrating things that keep happening and well, I never mean, change. yeah you, you go with just just what i think uh, again the difference between lovey smith's illini and pat fitzgerald's wildcats is that yeah there'll be a dumb play call sometimes especially with the you know in the mick mccall days there was always the frustrating you know option on fourth and short to the short side of the field right but generally you know, game management speaking, as far as roster uh, management is concerned, generally more often than not, they just do the obvious thing. Well, yeah. w- we come in here and it's impossible to pass. Why is Brandon Peters still in the game? Isaiah Williams is the superior option quarterback and we can't fall behind. Then we get behind 14 to three and we're just throwing the ball. It's the, it's, it's 10 minutes into, it's 20 minutes into the game. Like you've got a good rushing attack. Just run the ball. And you said this kind of smothering is unheard of and shit. This 400 rushing yards by Northwestern. They've done this against us three times under Lovey Smith. Do you realize what a juggernaut their offense turns into against Illinois and only against Illinois? Do you realize that there are some people that are going to say, oh, wow, Northwestern's offense woke up in this last game against their rival. Uh, Maybe poses more of a problem for... Ohio State than we thought. Well, these same people thought that Graham Mertz was a Heisman contender just because he tossed five touchdowns against this sorry-ass defense. Yeah, How'd that work out? A, not a damn chance because this is still – it was not that long ago. And, you know, again, in a season like this, the best thing you've got is comparison against similar opponents, right? Look at the difference in what Northwestern did against Michigan State versus what Ohio State did. That should tell you how that game is going to go on Saturday. But that's a topic that, again – we don't want to get to here in the recap. Well, I mean, and yeah, as far as it, this game, it hit, you know, we played all the hits. We got the, we got the, oh boy, Illinois opponent. If you look at the numbers has been really terrible all year at this one aspect of football, but boy, they sure are doing this one aspect of football great today. <laughs> and they said it, yeah. yeah, Northwestern has been among the worst teams 
in FBS as far as rushing average is concerned. But, boy, they sure are having a hell of a game today. I don't even know who the fuck Evan Hall even is. I mean, I don't even remember his name being called, which means that he must have done all of that when they took out some starters in the second half of the game or something. Um, at least I'm not al- alone in not knowing who the hell he is. I don't think Lovey does. Um, and, yeah, you know, if you make a habit of making Northwestern look like an offensive juggernaut, you're going to get fired. Uh, four and six, four and 26 in the Big Ten West. Uh, and recruiting, I- I've been saying that t- the end of 2018 was the right time to cut bait. But ultimately, since they decided not to, they decided to stick with him. He's done nothing after that to shore up the football program's long-term interests. As far as the recruiting is concerned, um, they lost their most dynamic recruiter in Thad Ward to Temple um, and then didn't replace him with anybody. I heard recently that Jay Lehman said that he called up Lovey during this period where they were down two defensive coaches. By the way, they went through a whole recruiting cycle with three vacancies on their coaching staff. Um, You know, a whole winter recruiting period. And, Jay Lehman called him up and offered to coach linebackers. And he said, nah, I'm good. And then hired his kid. Now I'm not saying that Jay Lehman is definitely going to be a, you know, is definitely a coaching superstar or anything, but like. You have to assume he he would have a, he'd be able to leverage his role with the pro. I mean, he's a recent enough player that some of those kids are going to know who he is. He's exactly the same. He's almost exactly the same as Juice Williams in that regard. Yeah. If anything, he did more to make the 2017 win games. And he's on BTN all the time. If you watch Big Ten football, you know who Jay Lehman is, even if you don't remember the 07 Illini. So (laughs) the fact that Lovey was literally offered this help from a program legend and went, nah, my kid's really picking it up. Uh, Should, you know, just, again, he did nothing. Like, yes, they won some games in 2019, but if that's all that he did, Right, he would have had to comp- to contend for the Big Ten title to make you know high school coaches and recruits and shit take notice because he didn't do any of the other things that you would have to do in order to make that happen. Lovey Smith ultimately is a man who is above kissing ass, and that makes him uniquely unqualified to be a college football head coach. Nick Saban has kissed square miles of ass in his day. Uh, Mike Leach has kissed tons of ass. Mark D'Antonio has kissed tons of ass. The hardest men in the business these days have kissed just just acres and acres of ass in their careers. Uh, Lovey so Smith doesn't feel the, the need uh, to do that. Lovey Smith was wrong. We, um, we take a look really quickly. as just kind of a, a coda to what you mentioned there. And again, we'll talk about coaching candidates and kind of the, the big picture situation that Illinois is in for the moment in the near term a bit later, but to look at where he leaves them. And you mentioned this before this season that there's this senior laden roster. Now that particular issue might not be as bad because of the eligibility waiver, which means whoever you hire as a coach, in my opinion, you've got to get a guy who can convince some of those guys to stay again. Cause obviously despite a pretty good amount of talent in the senior class, not all of them are going to be NFL players. So if you can tell them, look, come back, run it back with me for one year. I promise we'll get you tape in a better system to maybe give you a crack at the NFL. That's got to be the first priority because you mentioned the recruiting is not exactly what you would have hoped for given some of his early staff hires. Well, yeah, right now the 2021 class, the one um, 
that the next coach is going to take over. 74th in the country, 13th in the conference. And part of that's because it's pretty small. There's only 14 commits, but it feels like it should be considerably bigger than that, considering how many guys could be gone from this roster next year. Yeah, I mean, you know, Lovey finally won some games last year. He had that big win over Wisconsin, won four in a row, made a bowl game. And so people were thinking, well, hey, here comes the recruiting bump, and it never came. No, so that more than anything, the... that more than anything is why you can fire him during a pandemic because you look at the future of the program and, and you're absolutely right in that a new coach has an opportunity to win in year one if they can just manage the roster the right way. And Illinois fans have been told that it has to, that it can't be that way. With the last two, when Tim Beckman came in, when Lovey Smith came in, we just kind of, oh, they were just evaluating whoever the hell that they had. and. Um, you know, a whole ton of players transferred out. And we were told, oh, it's just always got to be that way because the cupboard was bare and no one could possibly have won with these players. And, you know, they said the same thing about uh, the situation that Daryl Hazel left for Jeff Brom, and he turned around and won games with those players. Yeah, you don't have to win eight, nine, ten games right away with the last guy's players, but you got to be five or six games, right? Like, you, it's, it's too hard these days. Like, there really are not many coaches who are able to go from only winning one or two or three games for two or three years in a row and then pull it out of the ditch after that. Like, it's just – there's this thought that, oh, you got to give coaches time, let them get their players in, let those players get a little bit of experience. That doesn't happen anymore. If you're not making waves and having an impact right away, players aren't interested in you. So that, you know, getting your guys in, you have to show these kids something now before they're willing to spend their college career on you. And even if you do have some initial recruiting success, if you're not winning games, they leave. So it, it's that mode of thinking where, oh, yeah, you just got to put up with a year zero and a year one, and then, like, then you start it. No, that doesn't, doesn't work that way anymore. You've got to have some kind of success early, which means you either win with the last guy's players or you hit the transfer portal hard, which, again, is, is becoming more viable every year. More and more players are availing themselves of that. The talent's out there if you're willing to find it and, you know, kind of overlook some things in some places. So, anyway... I suppose we should probably carry on talk about my team's game, which, you know, again, I followed on the box score. I was able to watch a couple minutes of it, but that was about it. MSU turned a 21-10 halftime lead into a 39-24 defeat. Um, not as surprising as that it might have been on paper, not as disappointing because Penn State has always been a second-half team under James Franklin with very few exceptions. The big story here for MSU, look, like, I think maybe my coverage of this team over this season has reflected this, but I never thought this team was going to be good. So would I have liked them to win a third game, bring home another trophy from a rivalry game? Yeah, sure, that would have been really nice. But all you're really looking for is progress. And if there's a little bit of a silver lining, like, I, I never want a guy to get hurt, but Rocky Lombardi has a very clearly defined ceiling at this point. It looked pretty obvious that this staff was still going to go with him unless they were forced to do otherwise. And then he was injured in this game such that he had to come out. And it looks like they may have something in Peyton Thorne. At the very least, I would expect that even if Lombardi is ready to go next week, they've got to stick with Thorne here and see if he can do it in a little bit more of a sample size 
you know, put him in a game where he's not down multiple scores, see how that goes, uh, and give him a week of reps as the number one quarterback. That's the most important thing. I mean, I, I would assume, I would assume, and we'll see if this pans out, that they're probably going to play more of their younger players this week. They've kind of resisted that so far, especially on defense. They have not rotated in younger guys as much as I thought. And, man, I there's – in my head, two possible explanations for that. One is that they do feel some incentive to win immediately, so maybe they feel they're better off playing more experienced players. The alternative, which I think is more likely, is they've looked at some of these underclassmen that D'Antonio left him from, you know, a couple of lackluster recruiting classes, frankly, and they just don't see much that they think they can work with. And so they're not bothering with those guys they know that they're going to – Tucker has said repeatedly that he expects to hit the transfer portal pretty heavily. This roster is going to look pretty different, especially on defense. They've, they've got some offensive skill guys that look like they might be – you know, you might have a good offense there towards the end of next year into 2022, but this defense is going to be bad. They've had a few underclassmen transfers already. Um, they've got – a pretty big group of seniors that play now, even though they have a bunch of new starters from last year. And then, man, there's going to be a talent gap. It, if you're able to convince some of these guys to come back next year, that would be great. But a lot of them are going to be gone. And the guys who are going to be left, very little, uh, very, very little proven experience and not a whole lot in the way of recruiting resume that would suggest many of these guys are going to be stars. So it's going to be a very different defense in the future. I've, I've seen some things on offense that I like, though. So this, this season hasn't been a success by any means in terms of win-loss, but I think overall it's been what it needed to be, which is you see enough pieces to have some hope if you, know, you, can, you have to pull the rest of the roster together, but there's enough here to work with. You also have to be encouraged about the fact that you know, even though you went with an odd-shaped roster for what he wants to do and probably, you know, had to cobble something together. He, he did cobble something together that resembled a football team. And he won a couple of games, you know, by mostly by for, formulating a strategy with what he was yes. able to, to work with. And that's, that's what you want to, it's, you know, that's what you want to see is that the coach is actually engaged in winning games right now. Um, yes. Yes. Again, to compare it to my guy, didn't see that from, I mean, red flags came off the moment that we were losing to Daryl Hazel at home in year one, because it's like, okay, I get that maybe it's not the most important game to win right now, but come on, you got to have your head in the game here. And Mel Tucker has absolutely had his head in the game the whole time. Um, yeah. And I've, I've, I completely agree with you on that point. And so, you know, not to dig this in too much, but with Lovey Smith, you know, the, the scheme, especially on defense, which is his side of the ball, has kind of just been what it is. And if the players are good enough to execute it, great. And if they're not, which most of the time they weren't, well, the scheme is still the scheme. Whereas with what we've seen from Tucker so far, and it's not to say that it's always worked, but I would much rather see what I've seen this year where against Michigan, they look at the opponent's tape and they see, hey, they've got some corners we can probably throw on. Let's have Lombardi throw a bunch of deep shots. Hey, look, it worked. Um, against Northwestern, they're kind of prone. They don't have a lot of deep threats themselves. Let's play it closer to line of scrimmage. Um, count on them to try to establish the run. And look, it worked. I would rather win a couple games that way 
and lose against teams that don't have schematic weaknesses like Indiana and Iowa than happen to have enough talent on hand to overwhelm a couple opponents. But then in the future, if you don't have that talent or you do run into a more talented team, you're not able to scheme your way around it. Like I, I do very much agree. And, you know, a lot of MSU fans have been critical of the offensive coordinator this year, Jay Johnson, which is probably just force of habit at this point. I mean, we, we had it, most of D'Antonio's tenure. There were maybe like two or three seasons where the offensive coordinator was not the subject of persistent complaints. But a lot of that justified. So it feels like it's a little bit of a reflex at this point if we're not scoring 50 points a game off the offensive coordinator is terrible. No, I think given what he's got and given what they're trying to do, they've done about as well as they could have. And that's the most that you could hope for with, again, a staff that came in late that had all these disadvantages, things that I've talked about ad nauseum. Um, For Penn State, I think you very much have to be encouraged that they've gotten off the mat here. And Granted, they've had more winnable games down the stretch. Michigan, Rutgers, Michigan State. Yeah, but, but don't tell me Nebraska was unwinnable. Well, yeah, that's that's the one thing where after that game, I was like, boy, this really might be going off the rails. But considering that that was certainly their worst loss of the year, that they went from that into this three-game winning streak, I think has to be somewhat encouraging. And, you know, perhaps there's guys playing for their professional futures there. I mean, Jahan Dotson is certainly going to be a draft candidate. I think he's eligible after this year. They have several guys on defense that are going to be getting drafted. So it's not like the talent was ever not there. And that 0-5 start was really one of the more mystifying things across the country this year. But that they've kind of figured out I – mean, they're still kind of going with this two-quarterback system. They lean a little more towards Clifford now, but they have a functional role for Levis – it's bigger than it was when they had uh, McSorley and Stevens, but they seem to have kind of settled into something of a balance with that. For me, it wasn't so much mystifying as it was, you just throw up your hand and say, yeah, COVID year, what you going to do? Yeah. And that's, that's probably why not only have you not seen James Franklin on any hot seat lists, but he was supposedly, and maybe he still is considered a candidate for the Texas job in the midst of a season where you started 0-5. Uh, I don't know how serious that was. You, you're certainly more in the know than I am because of your connections to the Longhorns program. Steve Ron Thumpasaurus, noted Texas booster and oil man. But uh, he's, you know, his name came up in those Texas well. conversations. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'll tell you what. I, I'm just... I, I, I don't know when, what it's going to take to get Urban down here, but I, I'll tell you what, we got a resource to do it. Would, 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 we, uh, would we deign to settle for Saban if it came to that? Yeah, yeah I'll tell you yeah. what. I mean, when we got the resources, uh, go after the best coach in the country. So we ought to go after the best coach in the country. Yeah. You know, the, the other funny thing is <laughs> – if you were to talk about coaches who have the national championship pedigree, who you could maybe convince with a big enough check, is Jimbo Fisher not? <laughs> Jimbo Fisher. <laughs> He's got Texas A&M number five. They're in a position now where it looks like they're going to be competitive for a couple years to come. Although I guess they do have to replace Kellen Mott after this year, but uh, <laughs> would it not be? Because you know they. On the one hand, they'd be hiring his coach, but they'd have to do it in such a way that they pretend they don't acknowledge that it's Texas A&M and they get it. Oh, that they exist. 
and that they get any more joy out of taking a coach from them than anyone else. Like, oh yeah, we, um, you know, hired, interviewed deep, deep pool candidates and has nothing to do with where he happened to work before. You know, we, uh, not that we even know where that is or. And look, I dislike both of those. Why awake at night thinking about the school that we hired our coach away from. And, you know, I dislike both of those teams, but boy, if that happened, the blue balls from that game never getting played anymore would just become unbearable. <laughs> I don't, yeah, it would. I think it would require medical attention and like, like a redress. Essentially, you at some point. At what point does a does does somebody from Texas A and M, some extremely influential person, just just go up to Texas or vice versa, you know, and and strip off their white driving glove and slap them across the face, sir? You have besmirched the honor of my great institution, and I demand a redress of grievances on the gridiron. <laughs> you know, the funny, I mean, it's the kind of thing where you could break the ice. Like, I don't know if they play in other sports anymore. I, I don't think if they played in basketball, it would be mentioned, but they could easily have like a baseball series that the rest of us aren't aware of and sort of ease back into it that way. Um, all right. Well, we, we got to keep this thing moving here. So, the uh, the best known and best loved of the quadrangle trophies was played last week. Iowa prevailing over Wisconsin for the let me check Google here Heartland Trophy. Shit, I was gonna say Heroes. That's um, is that Wisconsin Nebraska? No, I think that's Iowa Nebraska. Or is that? Yeah, I think that's Iowa Nebraska. I don't know. That's. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it is. Yes, it is because I was going to say, no, you idiot. That's the corn game. But no, corn is Iowa, Iowa State. Um, right? With the, the creepy family. Yeah. And then what? The, the, uh, the um, oh my God, what's the. the uh, we need trophies that are legit here. Sick of that shit. <laughs> and so, you, anyway. Yeah, I, I don't know. So. I, I did watch some of this game. We were back in the hotel by the time this one was on. And, um, boy, you want to talk about a hideous offensive performance, first of all. I get that it's been kind of a weird, disjointed season, but you remember those first couple games of the season when everyone was like, yeah, Wisconsin could give Ohio State a run for their money. They could go to the playoff. Remember? I mean, like, that was a thing that happened. Well, I'll tell you what. Last year, everybody was thinking that, and then Illinois proved them wrong. This year, everybody was thinking that because Illinois made them think that, and it actually wasn't the case. So basically, <laughs> Illinois always throws a wrench into the gears of expectations for Wisconsin because, yeah, like if you look at the rest of the season, especially this game, <laughs> you know, the, the existence of Mertz for Heisman for a few weeks there is a pretty damning case against Lovey and a good reason why he got fired. Yeah, and really, I mean, this was a case of two offenses that couldn't do much of anything, and then Ference turned to basically to his two best playmakers and said, you guys rescue us, and they did. Amir Smith-Marset and Tyler Goodson had between them, let me add this up real quick. All right, so 106 rushing yards from Goodson out of 127. And Smith-Marset had 140 of their receiving yards out of 211. So that's 
you know, well over two thirds of their entire offensive production from two guys. And granted, the starting running back often takes up a big chunk of your offense, but it still was just an instance of really the problem with Wisconsin this year has been they don't have playmakers on offense. Uh, they've got, you know, they've got guys who in the past have been good in supporting roles. You know, think about their receivers. Although I don't believe either Danny Davis or um, Kendrick Pryor played in this game. But look, they were, even if those guys were around, they were going to need somebody else. But when your leading receiver is, you know, Jack Dunn, that doesn't bode well for your ability to make explosive plays. Same thing for the running game this year. They've missed Jalen Berger since he's been out, but they really hadn't established him as kind of a replacement to Jonathan Taylor that he should have been. And it's pretty like, look, this should put a little bit of a lie to the fact that Wisconsin can just interchangeably replace these running backs. Like they've had a succession of great ones, but that doesn't mean that it's automatic and that anybody can go back there and run for 1500 yards. You're not going to see that from any of the guys that they played in this game. Berger could be that guy. You know, if they were had, if they had Davis and Pryor, their passing game would look better. But there is a real shortcoming of talent on the offensive side of the ball there outside of the line. I just wish I could have been there for the, con- for the convention of the brain trust uh, in the Iowa locker room or wherever it took place. Where Brian said, look, our backs are up against it here. I didn't want it to have to come to this, but it looks like we're going to have no choice. We have gonna to have to throw it. We're going to have to throw the ball <laughs> to Amir Smith-Marset. You, you, you can't be sh- you, you don't think it, it's that dire, do you? Yeah, I'm Kirk afraid just, I do. Kirk just breaks his clipboard over his knee and spits. God, but, damn it! But I'm not happy about the it. The boy's right! <laughs> we have no choice. Yeah. This was a game where, I mean, Iowa gifted Wisconsin with golden field position on a muffed punt, and Badgers couldn't do anything with it. So, man, I wonder if, the, if again – it's been tempting every time something goes wrong for a team this year to say, oh, well, COVID, what are you going to do? And that's certainly as true for Wisconsin as anyone. You know, they had disruption basically in week two and never really looked the same after that. Although I guess that's discounting the dismantling of Michigan, but they're far from the only team to do that this year. I wonder if you're Wisconsin, if you're able to kind of shrug this off, you know, have a good laugh about it and conclude that you'll be right back to where you were next season. Or if you maybe have some concerns about the big, about the offensive big picture here, because the defense has been fine. This was a six, nothing game at halftime because Wisconsin's defense kept them in it. They eventually cracked, which again, any defense will, if you force them to pitch a shutout to win a game, Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. But yeah, I, I wonder if there are some concerning signs here, or if you just assume, you know, look, next year we'll sort out our receiver situation, not that we ever lead on receivers. We'll have Berger healthy. Maybe we like the guys we have coming in for future running backs. 
we kind of get back on track or if there's a sign this is more than a typical hiccup. Yeah. Um, and the thing about the thing about the uh, the Deus ex, ex machina of Emir Smith Marset was just as quickly as he came on the scene, he left. Uh, on scoring his second touchdown, he decided to stunt on him <laughs> and took himself out of the game. Yes. So absolutely. basically, Emir Smith Marset was just like a summon spell that you use <laughs> to do great damage to an enemy, and then it disappears, and you can't use it for the rest of the battle. Yeah, you don't have any more mana, so you can't cast Summon Smith Marset again. <laughs> yeah, until yeah, you can't cast that until the next battle. All right, so we'll talk now about the other beloved trophy that was played for the Quadrangle this week: the five dollar bits of broken chair. Minnesota prevailing on this iteration, twenty four to seventeen. That drops Nebraska to what is it? Two and two and five. Um. Yeah, which puts and them last in. place. I wonder. It, I'm not sure how this would work if you were to seed the entire conference. I mean, MSU is also two and five. Illinois is two and five, but obviously the head-to-head situation there helps them out. And then you know, like Maryland is two and three. Michigan and Purdue are both two and four. I, they'd be ahead of them in the loss column, obviously. So yeah, I guess. That ties you for last place with a team that hired its coach six months before the season started. So, congratulations! Yeah, and you and you have and you lose the tiebreaker to the team that just fired their head coach for being shitty the year that they stomped you. <laughs> um, boy, I I wonder what the mood in the fan base is right now. You've got a nice little stat here. Speaking of Lovey Smith, well, two things actually. Two stats. One, yeah, Minnesota Athletics, just like Illinois a couple of weeks prior, tweeted, "Good game, Nebraska. Thanks for bringing back Big Ten football." And then except, had it deleted a few they, hours later. I was guessing they had the courage to leave it up for a little while. <laughs> well, it got deleted eventually. So basically, you can't make fun of Nebraska apparently for that long. But the screenshots are forever. Anyway, through three years at Nebraska, Scott Frost is 11-20 and 20 with an 8-17 and 17 conference record. In those same three years, Lovey Smith is 12-20 and 20 with an 8-17 and 17 conference record. Congratulations, Nebraska. Your favorite son is Lovey Smith. <laughs> no, he's a half game worse. <laughs> Nebarcus got last place this year by providing <laughs> the final victory of the Lovey Smith era and only his first fourth Big Ten West victory. Yeah, man. I, uh, I don't We're know. We're at what... the point where this is, where this is, this is, this is less ha-ha early returns are bad and more, hey, what exactly are you doing here? Yeah, no, because look, he, he's brought in plenty of talent, but you, you don't see it manifesting. Like, really – if Lovey Smith had brought in the level of talent that Scott Frost did, he'd still be the coach in Champaign right now. Yeah, you'd be winning eight or nine games a year. One, maybe not, but we definitely, definitely he would still be the coach. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I wonder if this changes the perception of Frost long-term here. Again, we just got done saying, like, can you really take anything away from this season? Well, Illinois took enough away from it to fire Lovey Smith. A couple SEC teams paid more than $10 million in buyouts to fire their coaches after this season. So clearly, yeah, from a perspective of 
athletic directors with their pulse on the fan base and in, if their finger on the pulse of the fan base and in particular on that of the big dollar boosters who actually make the decisions, clearly the world has not stopped spinning completely. So I sincerely doubt that there's any real job pressure on Frost right now, but you're getting to the, to the end of the honeymoon period if you weren't already. Maybe that's not the word for it because I think that already ended. Maybe you're getting to the end of the grace period now. And if you don't see things turn around with a quickness, uh, things could be getting a little, a little warm for Mr. Frost. Well, they've got the 22nd ranked recruiting class in the country right now, which, you know, again, you talk about Lovey Smith. Well, one, there was a $2.3 million buyout to pay him. And second, recruiting was nothing. It was 88th last year and it's 74th this year. Um, last year, Nebraska had the 20th ranked recruiting class in the nation. So, it's not like there's nothing in the future to be excited about, but uh, again, you know, now you've got, you know, however many years this is of, uh, of top 25 classes that he's brought in at some point, you've got to show something for it. At some point it's got to manifest itself into more than 308 yards against this Minnesota defense, missing all these players and more than 3.8 yards per passing attempt. Yeah, and so it, obviously when you have an, a relatively new coach, you do want to give them appropriate time, right? But at the same time, this is a football program. It's, it's not like we're trying to use MS-DOS to run modern software. Like the install period shouldn't be this long, especially when you've got talent like Nebraska has. They should be getting better results than they have already. And it doesn't really seem like they have an answer for what the problem is. Like there is no obvious, like, oh, we had a rash of injuries at one position and it set some guys back, or we had a big time assistant coach leave. Like as far as I know, they haven't had anyone hired away from this program that I'm aware of. If they were, it wasn't a big enough deal for me to hear about it. So I don't know what the excuse is here, but the clock is ticking a little more loudly. That's for sure. All right. Let's talk about a game that was actually kind of compelling in a, in a, in the way that watching a, a building slowly collapse can be compelling, not like under the wrecking ball, but under the weight of time. Like if you were to put a time-lapse camera on a disintegrating house in the middle of nowhere, like that could be kind of captivating, right? So too is Rutgers, Maryland, where in my opinion, Greg Schiano cemented himself as the coach of the year by winning Rutgers third game. Three. Yeah, dude, they could win four games this yeah. year. Yeah. But shit, they're against the last place team in the West. Um, Chiano coach of the year, as far as I'm concerned. Shit, how about this? Art Sitkowski went 14 for 20 and uh, won a game again. Uh, yeah. This game was three to nothing Maryland at the half. Yeah, no, they, and they have Art Sitkowski looking like a functional quarterback. That alone, like think about the mind-bending box scores, passing lines we gave you the last couple seasons with Art Sikowski. That dude threw four touchdowns to 18 picks one year. Yes, and they have him looking like a decent quarterback, like not a Heisman winner or anything, but they made him an actual football player. Uh, it, it's incredible, and it's also on the flip side kind of another example of just game planning, what the hell are you doing, Mike Loxley? because they have 
a running back in Jake Funk, who's quietly one of the better stories in the league this year. Rodgers could not stop the funk, and yet Mike Loxley voluntarily lifted the needle off of that particular record. Well, Maryland, look, man, when the Rutger is around, don't let your guard down. All you got to do is call on the funk. Nobody will get that reference unless I splice the music in there. But, you know, yeah, Maryland should have called on the funk more often because when you're running the ball effectively, you got to keep doing it. Um, Not to mention, I mean, I don't – I didn't see if uh, Legendre was benched for throwing two picks or if he got hurt or what, but uh, he did throw two picks. And then it was Eric Najarian versus Art Sitkowski. Exactly the matchup everyone at home probably tuned in hoping they would see. And probably one of those moments in the broadcast booth where the call guy's like, oh, shit, give me the sign. How do I say this? Yeah, he, was a, he was a wrestler in high school or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Better, better hope that your, broad, that your producers have done their research for that situation. So Maryland outgained the Gers, but turned it over twice. And uh, Gers controlled the clock here. Um, 24 first downs to 18 for Maryland. Um, But ultimately, the decisive play of the game was Maryland being undone in overtime by a 15-yard personal foul on the first play of their possession. Yeah, which, again, you know, in the the past, discipline issues with Mike Loxley teams have been been a thing at times. Past his prologue, sometimes that's all we're saying. Look, they've looked better this year than I thought they would. He has certainly elevated their talent level. I still wonder. I still wonder. Um, All right. Let's take a quick tour around the country. We'll do a little bit of coaching carousel talk and then bring this one to a conclusion. I did see a little bit of this game as well, and I was dumbfounded by what I saw. Arizona State 70, Arizona 7. In a game, by the way, between winless teams because of – the Pac-12 starting late, playing a shorter schedule, and having pretty stringent cancellation policies. This was 0-2 Arizona State versus 0-4 Arizona. Hey, you know what? I, I know it never happened, but when all said and done, was Khalil Tate to Illinois the most ridiculous thought I ever had? I mean, was he all that much better off staying put? No, hell no. It could not possibly it could not possibly have worked out worse for him going somewhere else. Nobody even remembers that dude now. No, not at all. You have, I've, again, have not consumed as much national college football media this year as I would in a typical fall, but I have not heard his name mentioned. And again, yes, in the context of Pac-12 football, other than Oregon and USC being totally irrelevant, that's understandable, but Man, think like he was a serious Heisman contender based on like six games worth of performances when he broke out of the scene. And now he, he is, he, he has become a remember that guy. Yeah. Um, I, honestly, I think I would have preferred getting beat 70 to seven to getting beat the way that, that, that we did in the hat game, because like, man, 70 to seven, that's, that's at a certain point it gets funny. Um, our game never got funny. It started out kind of funny, and then it got less funny. But, uh, yeah, you know, speaking of it, Herm Edwards, I said when he was hired by Arizona State that he would do better than Lovey just because he was an inferior NFL coach, and, of course, that's how it's going to happen. But that was another reason. 
Okay, and that's because I remember him being an ESPN contributor. I remember him doing some truly terrible and degrading segments on ESPN. I, in fact, remember <laughs> him being in the studio when they had a fucking birthday party for Tim Tebow without Tim Tebow in the studio or even calling in or anything. They just had a birthday party for Tim <laughs> Tebow on SportsCenter one time. Herm Edwards was there and uh, served the TV a slice of cake. I bring this up to say that you think Herm Edwards is above kissing ass? Oh, man. Hell no. You know, yeah. It's because he Give embraced me all it. of because, this ass. It's because despite having not done it in over 20 years, he jumped into that aspect of the job with the enthusiasm of a 25-year-old grad assistant. That's why he's succeeding. Because he was in a position to take advantage of the fact that USC is still employing Clay Houghton. He's like, okay, yeah, I'll just take 10 of the 15 best players in California, I guess, if you don't want them. Um, because he was willing to go in and kiss, the, and kiss the appropriate ass. Yeah, as you say, that's really become the name of the game. If you can't get the talented players, good luck coaching them up to be good enough. That's, there, it is a rare coach anymore who can keep up. That's, you know, that's Kirk Ferentz. That was D'Antonio before he retired. That's Pat Fitzgerald. There's not many other guys who are doing it. That being said, Kirk Ferentz and Pat Fitzgerald and Mark D'Antonio have all kissed ass later in their tenures. They, they, they didn't, you know, need to as much, you know, kind of their, their record spoke for itself. But until your record actually speaks for itself, you're going to have to kick to kiss some ass. And even, even then, you're going to have to kiss some ass. You might not do it as enthusiastically and as shamelessly as, as you would before, but you're still going to have to do it to an extent. You're going to have to care if people say no to you. Yeah, and that – so elsewhere in the country, San Jose State, going from one of the most abjectly miserable, you know, FBS teams the last several years to six and – Several? Up. My lifetime, my oh, dad's yeah. lifetime. Well, they had – they were kind of decent when they had David Fales, weren't they? Were like yeah, a, but like – they're six and zero, oh. right? And that's, they haven't been five and zero oh since before my dad was born. Yeah, so good for them. We always like to bring up happy little moments from elsewhere in the country. Uh, big game in the SEC, insofar as Florida is now functionally eliminated from the playoffs after a thirty-seven thirty-four loss to the defending champion LSU Tigers. Bo Pelini ends the playoff run. I mean, technically, his defense still gave up 34 points in a conference game. I guess. But you know what his defense didn't do? <laughs> Toss somebody's shoe 20 yards down the field. True. Very true. Uh, <laughs> Florida's Margo Wilson tried very hard to beat the record set last year in the Egg Bowl for the funniest way to lose a game. Um, my God. I mean, that, that's a really, really good one. Um, I got to say, I still give the piss and miss the nod, but man, I mean, he got some distance on that shoe. Yeah. And why did he, why did he do that? <laughs> well, see, I'll tell you what this was. This to me feels like it. So it occurred not long after the egg bowl and when the egg bowl was coming up, of course, there was a lot of talk about last year's game and how that's just this untoppable, unbelievable moment of, just, just colossal ego and stupidity. And, you know, to, to paraphrase, to, you know, insert a meme here from the Michael Jordan ESPN series, Florida took that personally. <laughs> <laughs> well, really, you know what, though? Yeah. 
If anything, to raise it up to another level, essentially. I got to say, though, they didn't do it because this still, this is a lot closer to the Dwayne Rudd game than to the piss and miss. That's, of course, the only reason anybody even remembers Dwayne Rudd is because of the time that he tossed his helmet prematurely uh, and caused the Browns to lose a game um, 19 years ago because Browns' futility is timeless. Uh, Army 15, Navy 0, uh, the third shutout in this series history. Weirdest scenario of the week, of course, was Army Navy not having the spotlight. Um, that felt weird and inappropriate. Like, I don't know. I'm not even sure what either of those teams' records are this year, if either of them is likely to go to a bowl. But I feel like that's the thing where why don't they just kick the game back another week or two? Like, just play it later. Make it – it should be a game by itself. Or play it on – play it, like, on a Monday night or, or – some other other day where it, it really yeah it really does uh, feel like just... it, it does feel like it's been out of keeping because the one thing that the government th- thinks that we deserve is to have the military uh, that's the only thing the government thinks they should do for us these days is that we have a huge military budget so the only game that we ever needed was army navy and yet now we can't even find space in the football calendar budget to allocate a f- sufficient resources to the I guess we be- I guess this is probably because the Pentagon budget is not big enough. Yeah, you know, this is ju- this is just going to be a a point brought up in the next congressional hearing to get another like 400 billion dollars onto it. So we moved out to the coaching carousel. We've brought up a couple of these things as they've happened. Those who are no longer with us, Lovey Smith Kevin Sumlin of Arizona, yes, believe it or not, they fired him after Arizona's first ever winless season and a 70-7 to loss to their hated in-state rival. Gus Malzahn fired by Auburn. Who, you well, know, we look, when you lose a game to a hated rival by, or, or, or someone that you don't like by 63, sometimes it's time for introspection and a two-year extension. This was not one of those times. <laughs> yeah. Auburn finally pulled the trigger on Gus Malzahn. They've been trying to do it ever since they didn't get to the national title game in 2014. And I salute you, Auburn fans. Congratulations. You've finally done it. I hope you hire Hugh Freeze. You deserve him. Honestly, that's probably like, who else would you think they would hire? They're not, they're, that's probably the one program in the SEC that's not going to hire some Saban assistant, right? So, oh, yeah. You know, they're not going for Steve Sarkeesian or whoever the defensive coordinator is now. No, they they won't touch anybody from that program, but that doesn't mean they're above Hugh Freeze. Um, Hugh Freeze has beaten Nick Saban, but yeah, Hugh Freeze has beaten Nick Saban. Uh, the only other coach to beat him that many time in times in the SEC in the aughts was uh, this fellow by the name of Gus Malzahn. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They just fired the one guy who – on a re- somewhat regular basis, has been able to overcome Alabama. But whatever, I'm sure you're going to do better next time, Auburn. That's not a colossal mistake at all. Don't worry about it. Uh, they did only win you the one national title. Yeah, I mean, that's one national title for a program that's basically in a position versus Alabama that Michigan State is to Michigan. But, yeah, by all means, go ahead and fire the guy who won you a national title. I'm sure this is going to go well. Vanderbilt let go of Derek Mason, who I think won like 20% of his games, so kind of hard to blame them for that. Although, again, good luck finding anybody who's going to do markedly better. And then Will Muschamp also fired by South Carolina in a move that should have surprised nobody. 
And it happened a long time ago. Yeah, I think of these guys, obviously Gus Malzahn is by far the most appealing candidate. Like I want him so bad. Yeah, but it, but there's now kind of the precedent here. I think the obvious thing is he does the must-champ rehabilitation tour where he gets a coordinator job somewhere else. I mean, I don't know if LSU is necessarily going to be replacing their offensive coordinator after one year. If you coach defense, it would be a no-brainer. They would kick Bo Pelini out and bring him in. Maybe LSU he- would be wise to hire Muschamp as a DC because Muschamp is a good defensive coordinator. He's just one of those guys that just just because he's a great defensive coordinator doesn't mean that he's a head coach in waiting. No, just give him give him a bunch of big strong guys. He'll help you recruit him. He's a good recruiter. Bring it, let him teach his guys to smash things. Don't let him do anything complicated that involves moving the ball through the air. That's not going to work, and we've seen by now that he doesn't have the chops to make that happen. Perfectly fine defensive coach, though. But, no, I think this is going to go the same way. Miles, no, this is, this is how it's going to go. I know you want him, but I don't think he's taking a head coach job right now because I don't think he would get the kind of job that he's going to want. What he's going to do is he'll take a coordinator job. Like, watch, he'll be the offensive coordinator at, like, Georgia or Florida, and then after next year, Tennessee will fire Jeremy Pruitt and they'll hire Malzahn. That's how it's going to go. I'm calling that right now. That is my prediction. I have no reason to think that that's especially likely. I don't know if any of those job openings will actually happen. But he ends up the head coach at Tennessee at the end of next season. That's, my, that's me calling a shot. Win 30 games in four years in Champaign, and you can literally own the entire city. <laughs> well, doesn't Bruce- Would you like a city? <laughs> When you say city, um, I mean, even for a guy living in eastern Alabama, that's, you know, there's a city and then there's Champaign. But a couple of guys who escaped the axe so far, Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech and our own Jim Harbaugh, who who remains the source of rampant speculation here. Of course, as we record this, it's Tuesday night. National Signing Day is tomorrow, and there has been no announcement on the long-term status of Jim Harbaugh. There's like there are Vegas betting odds now that basically put him at even odds with the next most likely candidate to be the Lions' next head coach. The reason we're putting him in here is because he hasn't been fired, but like Justin Fuente was confirmed to be back in 2021. Tom Herman was confirmed to be back in 21. Uh, Jim Harbaugh is just saying to recruits, "Hey, look, as far as I know, I haven't actually been fired yet." Um, yeah, we'll see if we can get around to a contract extension whenever, but you know what? Right now, my contract says that I'm the coach at the University of Michigan, so, uh, hell yeah, play for me for four years. And yet on paper, I believe they have the number nine recruiting class right now, which is just baffling. I don't understand how, if you are a top prep recruit, I mean, look, I guess you... People always say, well, you're supposed to you're supposed to commit to the school, not to the coach, right? That's nonsense. I, <laughs> because what the school is to you is in huge part determined by the head coach and whether the head coach has competent has competent assistance, competent strength and training, appropriate NFL ties, a system that is going to fit your abilities. Like the head coach is the school as far as a football player is concerned. In, a, in large magnitude, sure. 
do you want to find a place where you can like the weather and you like the vibe of the town? Yeah, those things matter. Do you want to find a place that has a major you might like? Sure, you're going to end up a general studies major anyway, but tell yourself that that matters. No, the head coach is the school to these players, and obviously we don't know what Jim Harbaugh says to these kids in his recruiting pitch. The one thing you can say to them after this season is we got plenty of playing time. So that's, I mean, there's no shortage there. And they have put plenty of guys in the NFL. So, well, I'll tell you what. Yeah. If they hired Lovey Smith, I guarantee you they'd beat Ohio State by 2025. Would they be better <laughs> yeah. than Ohio State? No, but they well, would definitely beat them once. Well, maybe, but keep in mind, it, you do still have to get the kids to come. Like there's, there's nothing true about recruiting even to a place like Michigan. You do still have to put in the effort. But if Michigan hired Lovey Smith, but they couldn't actually hire Lovey Smith because now he's tainted from this Illinois thing, you know what they could do. Hire somebody that did something as impressive as taking the Bears to the Super Bowl. Eight games over 500 with the Lions. Jim Caldwell. Everyone in Michigan remembers that time that he went eight games over 500 with the Lions in four years. Oh, my God. So you're Miracle s- worker. So you're saying, <laughs> you're saying Jim Harbaugh to the Lions, Jim Caldwell to Michigan. <laughs> well, you remember the last time there was a Jim coaching professional sports in uh, Detroit? Oh, shit. Uh, shit. Uh, Never mind. Jim, Jim Shorts <laughs> lasted longer say- than Jim Leland. Yes, there's so many. There's been so many gyms. Yes, I you remember. gotta have gyms. Jeez, Jim Bob Cooter. You heard it here first. Jim Jim Caldwell to Michigan. Cut the recording. <laughs> Your source for Big Ken Cog, it's off tackle, Empire!